Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Giant T-Shirt and JohnnyTShirt.com. I'm your host for this one, John Siegley, joined by EJ Wilson and Mike Ingersoll for our weekly Letterman podcast. Guys, let's go ahead and just jump right into that Wake Forest loss. I know that it was super disappointing. We talked about it on our pod before that game about how UNC has struggled to win down in Winston-Salem. And I think the biggest thing as far as surprises go for myself was just how flat the team was. I thought that that was really unexpected. Mike, when you were talking about the game in, in our previous podcast, I mean, I think you and EJ actually both made the point UNC cannot overlook anybody. They won two games last year. So why do you think the team just got the mentality that they could overlook Wake Forest, like a couple of the guys even admitted to doing after the game? They believed their own BS for a whole week, and they were believing their own press clippings. And the problem is that Wake Forest was reading those same press clippings, sitting there going, well, we're both 2-0, and and we've beaten – some FBS teams, why aren't we getting any love? And Wake Forest came in with a chip on their shoulder and Carolina came in, you know, on its high horse and uh, frankly did what, unfortunately, every team I was on managed to do at least once a season. And it seems like for the most part, uh, with the exception of 2015, well, maybe not even 2015 because of the bowl game, but really almost every UNC team that I can think of um, since 2006 has figured out a way to do, and that's overlook a, a lesser opponent or or play to the level of what they think that a, that opponent's competition is. And uh, unfortunately, Wake came out loaded for bear, and they wanted to prove something, and Carolina didn't treat it like um, – it didn't give that game the import that it deserved. So, EJ, what do you think the coaching staff can do – in order to make sure that the players do not repeat this coming out against App State, another team that UNC on paper has more talent than? I think they just need to kind of get a subtle reminder of, of where they've come from. I mean, this team, like Mike mentioned, this team is not in a position where they can overlook anybody. And, and I'm very surprised to hear the players come out and admit that they overlooked Wake Forest. Yes, Wake Forest may not have played the caliber opponent that they played in the first two games, but at the end of the day, they were undefeated. They had a very efficient offense that wasn't making mistakes, and they have a very good defense. So I'm just kind of lost as why they were overlooked, or why they were overlooked Wake Forest. So uh, I think the coaches they just have to regroup this team, get this team to regroup and remember everything that they're fighting for, the feelings that from that this game had that they don't want to have from last year. When they came out in the first half, I really felt like Wake Forest kind of pushed us around. You could see that on both the offensive and the defensive side that they were just more physical than us, and and it just looked like they wanted it more. I do believe that uh, they were believing their own hype, being that they the caliber of opponents that they beat. I mean, one being an SEC team and one being a conference opponent in Miami, uh, that that is a very talented team. So I'm just not getting how they were overlooked them. So I just think that they need to to, to refocus this team to to have them pay attention because they could fall into the same trap this week by overlooking App State. But I can tell you one thing is we know from App State's history that 
when they're the underdog, they will come in and surprise you. It doesn't matter what their record is. It doesn't matter what the level of talent they have on their team. They're going to play like a, a playoff bound top five team in the country, especially against an in-state opponent. And I don't know when was the last time that App State uh, came to Carolina, but I mean, th- this is going to be a big game. And being in, Ma- I mean, this is pretty much a, the, the Mac Brown Bowl. I mean, he was the head coach at both of these programs previously, and now he's back at UNC. So I hope that they don't fall into that same trap and overlook App State this week. EJ is right. I mean, App is a giant killer. And I think the average score since they beat Michigan in 2005, um, or in 2007, excuse me, and this is, and I'm stealing this from Vipolis, um, but I think the average score that they've lost by is uh, 41 to 14. But in the last, the last two power five opponents they've played, they've played them to within a field goal each game or something like that. It's, it's been insanely close, like razor thin close. Um, and those last two teams, uh, I know one of them was Tennessee and I can't, I can't remember who the, who the other one was, but app is, I mean, app is a giant killer, right? I mean, they, they, they didn't beat Michigan by accident back when Michigan was number five in the country and they haven't won, you know, they didn't rattle off three straight national championships, um, undefeated seasons, uh, up there in Boone when they were an FCS team for no reason. Um, you know, they were. They were blowing the doors off of people. That's always been a very talented team. It's always been a team with a chip on its shoulder, and they've got guys that can play. They put guys in the league every single year. So, you know, Carolina's got a team coming in this weekend, an app that is um, an animal. And, you know, some of the mistakes they made against Wake Forest, they can't make that again. I mean, you know, I'll go back, and John, I don't know if you were going to ask us this or not, but the two major plays that I thought cost us the game against, against Wake Forest were the uh, the opening punt where, and I think it was Sage Surratt was actually back there returning punts, muffed the first punt of the game. And we had two guys, I think one was John Smith, and I can't remember who the other uh, gunner was, got down there on punt coverage. And as he signaled for the fair catch, they throttled down. Instead of running past the returner, which is what you're taught to do, um, you want two guys running past the returner uh, in the event that he muffs the ball and the ball goes backwards and you pick up the ball heading towards the end zone to score. Um, instead of doing that, they throttled down, and sure enough, he muffs the punt. The ball goes behind him. And if we had done what we were coached to do, they would have at least landed on the ball, hopped on the ball for a recovery at the seven-yard line or whatever it was, and we would have got some points out of it. And that changes the whole dynamic of the game from the get-go, right? So you had a three and out, but you turn it into, into potentially a touchdown, right, or at least a field goal. So that that changes the whole trajectory of that game. And then obviously coming off of the one- or two-yard line, wherever we were, backed up, snap off a huge run. I mean, it opened up like a sieve. Javante Williams takes off and great run, exactly what you need. It's how you design it. Um, you want to run the ball off the goal line and get a huge game to get you out of that, get you out of that backed up situation. And he takes a hit and fumbles. And we had three guys around the ball and nobody jumped on it and Wake recovers and they go and they score a touchdown. And when, when those, the combination of those two events, I knew we were in trouble. When we didn't recover that first muff punt, I thought, mm, this game might not go the way we think it's going to go. And then when we fumbled that ball, I threw my hands up and I said, it's, it's done. And at that point, it, it was, I think it was zero to zero at that point. Um, and then they obviously scored. They went up seven to nothing. Um, but at that point, I had a bad feeling that game was over. And um, sure enough, those two plays really came back to bite us. Frankly, the, the muff punt was the, was, was the game-changing play, which I was afraid it was going to be. Um, you know, that was a potential seven-point swing. We lost by six. So there you go. But if they're going to make those kind of mistakes against App, they're going to be in trouble because App, I have to think, is going to play better than Wake did. Um, they're going to be more. They're going to be more hype, more jazzed up than Wake was. 
um, because this is going to be so far in their season, the biggest game they played. And it's a chance for bragging rights um, and to stick their chest out around the state of North Carolina, you know, for the foreseeable future. So Carolina's going to have to clean some of that stuff up. And they're going to have to come out, you know, they're going to come out on Saturday angry. And if they don't come out angry, I promise you app will. And it'll be a similar result to wake. And, and that's, that's not a good look of, uh, you know, being two and two going into the Clemson game is not nearly as comfortable as three and one going into the Clemson game. So. Yeah. The potential in that Clemson game of a loss, which admittedly is very high, just given Clemson being Clemson this year, it really does make the app state game even more important. I think as far as, as the overall season, you know, Mike gave those two plays as some game-changing ones that he observed. EJ, were there any specific plays that, that you recall watching during that Wake Forest game that you think also had a direct impact on the ultimate outcome in that one? There are a handful of plays. I mean, a, a couple of big runs that they had. I mean, you just seeing guys just getting caught up with the play action. Uh, Wake Forest did a good job of kind of holding the merge position between the quarterback and the running back long enough to really get the play that they wanted to where it almost started to just become like a power play. And when they started running that and running that, then during the play action, uh, during the long touchdown that Chaz Surratt scored, you could see that the safety came up and he's just he, he was frozen by the action in the backfield instead of reading his keys. And a, and a lot of what I saw – through the night is just a, it was a recurring. Well, I'll say through the first half was a recurring theme of people just not reading their keys. Uh, it was just repetitive, but I'll say that one play, I'm sorry. I said, Chad, Stay Surratt scored that uh, long touchdown. I'll probably say that was one of the, the big changes in the game because it was just kind of a downhill after that. But I, I will say that I am proud of the way that we came out and played in the second half. And that's just kind of become a theme with us. We need to come out and, and play the, in the first half the same way. I don't know if coach Brown's just, the best, given the best halftime spe- motivational speeches of all time, but we need to come out with that same juice, that same intensity and focus uh, in the first half as we have in the second half of these first three games. Good stuff, man. Let's go ahead and take a quick commercial break to talk about our friends at Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. They are your place to go for UNC gear. If you're going to be in town this Saturday for the App State game, make sure that you swing by. You can pick up your brand new Mac is back or return of the Mac shirt. You can also get the clear plastic bags that are allowed into Keenan Stadium. If you're not going to be in Chapel Hill, then you can go on GiantT-Shirt.com. You can shop all that you need for Tar Heel gear there as well. Just remember that Giant T-Shirt, they are an absolute icon there on Franklin Street. They have the best customer service. And if you are a subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get 10% off of your order. That's either at GiantT-Shirt.com or they're in store on Franklin Street. You can get that 10% off code from the Inside Carolina Premium Message Board. So remember, Giant T-Shirt, GiantT-Shirt.com, your place to go for Carolina gear. All right, let's go ahead and talk about the offensive line, Mike, because we had a little bit of a conversation off the air earlier on in the week about the loss of Polino, and it's something that has been brought up ad nauseum. But I thought that you had some pretty good comments just about the overall level of cohesiveness that is necessary for an offensive line. So now that they have had the one game without Polino, how do you think the offensive line will perform moving forward? Well, it's one more game playing together, right, as as the unit that's out there. And I've heard some chatter about some of the interior guys aren't grading out very well, and um, you know, particularly in pass protection and, and whatnot. What I'll say is when Polino went down, number one, you lost a senior 
starter who's got a lot of football experience, right? He's got a lot of game experience under his belt. So you lost that. You lost that leadership. You lost that experience. You lost that, you know, there's, there's a certain, um, what, what comes with game reps is an understanding of how to play in a game. It's much different than playing in practice, right? Um, how to prepare for a game. So you lost that, that thought leadership and that exemplar leadership during the week. In, in preparation for the game, you obviously lost it on game day. And it also required a shuffle of the interior three guys. And if you'll remember, early on, uh, I believe it was a pod we might have done over the summer, or maybe it was a, a preview pod just before the beginning of the season. But um, a point that I made that unfortunately looks like it's coming true is that our offense is going to go, regardless of who the quarterback is, our offense is going to go the way our interior three go. And right now with Polino out, our interior three aren't playing very well, but it's not necessarily their fault. Um, There is a level of cohesiveness and unity that's needed on the offensive line that you only get from playing next to a guy. And you need about 200 snaps next to a guy before you start feeling comfortable, before your double teams look good, before your footwork is kind of in tandem and uh, in, in concert with one another. Pass protection, so passing off twists, things like that. Um, you know, the tackle, understanding how to set vertical with his guard, setting somewhat flat at a slight angle, centers, understanding um, that they've got guards, you know, the guard, whichever guard they have posting on whatever side they have, they centers, understanding how wide that gap's going to be when that guard takes his post step down on that low technique and things like that. There's, it's a lot of, I mean, I can sit here and get in the minutia of it for, for hours, but the point is that those types of relationships, that comfortability, that familiarity with each other. That's not developed overnight, and it's certainly not developed in the course of one week of practice. You need at least 200 snaps next to one guy before you get comfortable playing with him. Uh, Alan Pelk and I, when we played together, um, in the very beginning, it wasn't pretty. Um, it took us quite some time to get used to playing next to each other. But then, you know, once, once that light bulb went off and once that relationship clicked, um, I knew what Alan was going to do. I knew how, how he was going to step, where he was going to step, where his shoulders were going to be. I knew how to time double teams, when I could get off of a double team. We could we felt each other throughout the game um, and throughout practice much, much better. Um, it was very natural. We operated as essentially one, one player um, when we had to work in tandem on double teams and passing off games and things like that. And there was nobody that I played with that I was more comfortable with next to me than Alan. Um, you know, there were a lot of really good players that came through our program at that time, particularly interior linemen. But the most comfortable I've ever been playing offensive line has been next to Alan Pelk with Cam Holland as his center next to him. And that's just because we played together and had so many snaps next to, you know, next to each other and play together, you know, as one unit for so long. Uh, <clears throat> and that's one thing that these guys are lacking right now, but they'll get it. And once they get it, their grades will clean up. Um, the, the production will clean up. The offense will clean up. Right now, their biggest problem is, is the ability to get off double teams. And again, on the second level, the linebackers that burned us against Wake Forest. It will burn us this week against App, um, but hopefully there will be some improvement there. But right now, the biggest issue is getting off your first level assignment on a double team and getting the, getting the right guy off on the right linebacker um, to create space for that running back. And then in the passing game, it's twists. Um, and it's it, passing off twists and even you know rub blitzes where you've got a defensive lineman coming inside with the linebacker wrapping around outside or hitting in an outside gap, whatever, you know, a single outside, however you have it, passing that stuff off is the equivalent in the passing game is running a double team, a double team concept in, in the run game. So 
once they get some of that experience and get that familiarity with one another and that number of snaps under their belt next to each other, they'll be fine. But there's going to be growing pains until then, and it's not going to be pretty until they figure it out. All right, so EJ, turning to the defense, got a two-part question for you. The first one is this. Jason Strobridge was a late scratch, and his absence was very much noted against Wake Forest. How big of an impact do you think it is that the Heels are going to get him back for App State this weekend? And then the secondary got picked on as well by Wake Forest's taller wide receivers. What do you think they can do in order to kind of negate that again against App this Saturday? Uh, For the first part, uh, I think getting Jason Strobridge back is going to be a very important part. It's going to be very impactful. We kind of struggled. Well, not kind of struggled. We very much struggled. Uh, early on in the game against the run, and we were just kind of getting pushed around. Um, they were running the ball at will. They ran it when they wanted to, when they had to, and, and when they needed to. So I think there's there's going to be a big impact because not only does he set the edge and is, is he a consistent force out there, he makes plays all around the field, all in the backfield, and, and uh, you definitely can see his presence missed in the pass rush. I mean, Teams have to pay a lot of attention to him and to Mon Fox, but without without him there, they can key in on him. And uh, Aaron Crawford's been very uh, productive this year, uh, pass rush wise. But it's easy to double team a guy in the interior when you don't really have as big a threat coming off the edge as you usually do when he was there. So I, I definitely think that his presence will be felt against the run and against the pass. Uh, as far as our our, our secondary, I, I think that we need to have more ball awareness. A lot of those uh, passes out there. I think that if we would have been more aware of where the ball were, we, we were in good position on some of those plays, but we just got to know the ball's coming to either try to make an interception or just try to make it harder for the wide receiver to catch it. Uh, so I think that we're going to watch that film. We're going to make some adjustments. But at the end of the day, uh, we probably played against one of the most talented duo of wide receivers in the ACC and a very polished quarterback uh, and, and just a, a good group of guys. So I, I wouldn't take that. Yeah, the secondary got picked on, but I don't think that that's necessarily something that a theme that we're going to see throughout the season. I mean, it's just a part of growing pains. So um, I think that it's a good learning experience. I think that we rebounded very well. Say Sherratt had uh, 152 receiving yards in the first half, and I think he ended the game with, what, maybe like 169. So, I mean, we definitely made the adjustments that we needed to make. So. I'm not discouraged by by what I saw. I definitely think that, like I mentioned earlier, we need to come out and play in the uh, first half like we do in the second half. But it's kind of good to see those guys take those adjustments and uh, apply them on the field. So I think that that all they really need is to watch the film adjust and and take the coach and watch the film, get in tune with the game plan and read their keys both in the run and in the pass game. And, and I think that we'll have a better showing overall. Well, and in keeping with the theme of playing better in the second half than in the first half, Mac Brown, Phil Longo, and Jay Bateman all talked about that. Turning back to the offense, you know, it's Phil Longo noted that UNC just must get better, especially on third down. So, Mike, what do you think the Heels can do in order to get themselves into more manageable, you know, third downs and especially being successful on first down? And how much do you think it ties into the play? of Sam Howell at quarterback? I can't give you a super specific answer without sitting here watching film, you know, having film running right in front of me and showing you exactly what I'm seeing issues wise on every play. But just generally speaking, what you need is 
Um, you know, you, you run play, you need efficient run plays, right? So that's four yards or better on every carry. And you need completions of six yards or more at least two or three times in a drive um, to, to keep it going, right? So if if they can if they can run the ball on first down for four plus yards, and that's going to get set up your your second and manageable, right? You're on schedule, so you're at second and six, second and five, right? And that that leaves everything open to you. That leaves the short passing game. It leaves the screen game. It leaves potentially another run. Um, it leaves sweeps. It leaves trick plays. It leaves everything. It leaves shots down the field. It, 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 everything. The entire playbook is open to you at that point. When you get into your second and long situations, so second and second and six or more, um, you're 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 limited. Um, and if you get to second and ten or more, you're extreme. You're extremely limited. Everybody knows at that point, you are definitely throwing the ball. You're looking for something probably probably high to the outside. Um, it, that's where you have some back shoulder stuff. Maybe you're going to try and set up a a tunnel screen or something like that to to chip away some quick easy yards. Um, but there's only so many plays you're going to be able to run out of that down and distance situation. Um, it affects Sam Howell in that when he, when you're off schedule, you're putting a lot of pressure on a guy to sit there and create. And one thing we saw Sam do that young quarterbacks do um, young, talented quarterbacks will do is he tried to turn the game Friday and he's done this every week so far, but it just caught up to him on Friday at wake. Um, he's tried to turn uh, every one of these, every one of these games into a high school game. So when he gets, you know, his back up against the wall, he reverts back to what he knows. And what he knows is scrambling, using his feet and trying to create a play out of nothing. Um, unfortunately, that doesn't work at the college level all the time. You know, he's not Lamar Jackson. He's got good feet. He has good field awareness, but he's still learning. You can tell there's been several times on Friday and throughout the season that he scrambles out and he holds the ball and he holds the ball and he holds the ball. An experienced quarterback would know to just get rid of that thing, take your lump and move on to the next play. You just don't have a negative on the play. Don't, don't lose yardage on that play. Sam will hold the ball, hold the ball, hold the ball. And then right as he's about to release it, right, his clock is about a second too slow and he gets hit around the knees or he gets sacked or whatever. Um, and it ends up being an incompletion or, you know, typically a sack for a loss outside the pocket. And that is, um, that's problematic, but that's something that's only going to come. It's something that's only going to get improved with game experience and making that mistake enough times to where he learns, Oh, okay. I've got to speed up the timer in my head a little bit, or, okay, when I'm in the pocket, I don't necessarily have to escape every single time. I don't have to bail every single time I feel pressure. Um, or I think there's pressure coming. I can go ahead and just throw the ball away and live to fight another down. And listen, it's not all on Sam, okay? He was getting lit up, you know, sometimes right off the snap. He had guys in his face, and he was getting laid out quickly on a lot of snaps. So I, I don't blame him for, you know, having a clock in his head of two, two and a half seconds, and he bails out of the pocket. Um, you know, that's just human instinct. And based on his experiences thus far in that game Friday, I would probably would have been doing the same thing. But when you're on schedule on offense and you – you get your second and medium plays, and then you have your third and short plays, and the whole playbook is open to you. It just helps Sam because it takes pressure off of him, right? He can expect and sort of predict what's going to happen next, what the next play call is going to be. He can get into a rhythm. He can be comfortable, um, and he doesn't have to feel like he has to win the game on every single every single time the, the ball is snapped. He's, he's got to do something spectacular to win that game or save that drive. Um, it's just um, it takes pressure off of a young quarterback who's clearly still processing things and learning things. And um, if we can stay on schedule against App State and keep our down and distance manageable throughout the game, I think 
I think it's a 10 point win at least. Um, but if we get into situations like we did against wake and we're behind schedule the entire first half or most of the game, it's going to be a long afternoon for Carolina. It's going to be a longer afternoon for Sam Howell. I'm glad that you went ahead and brought up what Carolina needs to do against app. Let's go ahead and expand on that a little bit more on the defensive side, EJ, what do you think the heels need to do if they are going to be successful? Because App State's getting back their number one wide receiver who's been missing the first three games so far. So, you know, what needs to be fixed from Wake Forest going into this matchup against the Mountaineers? Discipline. Our discipline needs to be fixed. As I mentioned earlier, most of the plays in the first half where we got where they had big plays or where they were kind of gaining momentum is because we, we weren't reading our keys. Someone got caught out of position. Someone missed the tackle. Someone just was kind of spaced out. It looked like sometimes in the first half last week. So I think that we just need to get back to the basics. We need to get back to the fundamentals. I saw a lot of times where when we sent pressure, guys were kind of going in kind of half heartedly. Like they went in not just going in and hitting the gap and and taking care of their responsibility. They're going in kind of shuffling their feet, trying to diagnose what's going on, trying to make a play, trying to turn the momentum, which which I can't blame them for. I mean, everybody wants to be the guy to change. They have to read your keys. There's a reason why you're hitting that gap. You're hitting that gap to disrupt so everyone else can recover because they know where you're going to send the flow of the offense to. So I think that if, uh, the guys just need to study the game plan uh, that we put together, that our coaching staff puts together, and read their keys, be disciplined with their eyes, be disciplined with their tackling techniques, and just play the game that I know they can play. This this is a talented group. And I like I mentioned earlier, again, I think having Jason Strobridge back impact on our ability to get after the quarterback and our ability to stop the run. So I, I think what we need to do is, is just get back to our brand of football. I, I like what I've seen out of this defense the first two games. We've shown that we'll bend but not break and that we can learn from our, our mistakes and make halftime adjustments. And even when we've had a, a couple key injuries, we've still bounced back and had fairly decent games. Yeah, we gave up a lot of yards in the first half this game, but overall in the second half, the overall body of work really doesn't look that bad. So, if we get back to that brand of football, reading our keys, being disciplined on our tackling, I think that we'll put ourselves in a, a good position to win the game on Saturday. Let me ask you a quick follow-up there, EJ, because you mentioned tackling, and you know UNC had that missed tackle late in the game that could have really turned things around possibly. It's, just, it's kind of one of, the, one of those things that you file away as a what-if. When it comes down to being successful at that, is it more so on like the drills that happen during the week or is tackling just on the players themselves to actually go out there and execute? It's, it's on them to go out there and execute. You have to be, it's a really a discipline thing. I mean, you're not going to teach tackling every single day during the week. That's usually, if anything, during the season, you're going to do that probably during the bye week. But yeah, there are basic, simple tackling drills just to get you back into the form. But this is stuff that you've been working on all training camp in your whole life. Like you, you have to be disciplined and there's a certain way that you have to tackle. And you see the guys, I mean, you can see guys who come into college who everyone says they're average or they're the walk on guys, but you see, these are guys who are the short tacklers because they know that they can't just rely on their athletic ability. Like a lot of guys try to do, uh, and, and get away from the basis of football and the simple techniques of tackling. So I do think it's it, it's on the player. I, I'm more than confident that if these coaches are at this level coaching Division One football, and especially for coaches 
knowledgeable in his tenure and, and with the reputation that Coach Brown has, I'm sure that these guys are teaching these guys how to tackle and, and they're doing a very good job at it. So it's it's on the player to transfer what the coach is teaching them and what the basics they know about football onto the game field. Mike, similar question for you. When it comes to blocking along the line, is that something that is going to be drilled every single week? Or again, is that just something that the players should have a base understanding of and then just go out there and perform what the coaches have already taught them? Do you mean the the basic fundamental of blocking or specific schemes? Let's go ahead and talk about just the basic fundamentals because I felt that in the Wake Forest game, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but just my observation was that UNC kind of got beat on basic stuff a little bit more frequently than what I would have liked. So when it comes to correcting that, is that more on the coaches or is that on the players? The coaches will say it's on them. Uh, it's it's on the players to take ownership of that, though. Um, you know, and, and again, this is what you were seeing was a lot of inside pressure and it was the inside three getting beat. And again, that's, a, that's a lot of, they haven't played together or they're guys who haven't played much generally. So it's, it's different blocking. It's different pass blocking in a game than it is a practice. Um, it, the speed is different. You're getting every guy's best move every single time. Um, you know, you don't know what's coming. Whereas in practice, you can kind of predict it. Um, this is a guy you haven't played against before, presumably, whereas a guy in practice you see every single day. So, you know, it's just different in the game atmosphere. Um, you know, guys have to take ownership of that, though. I mean, there is a lot that can be solved with technique and post-practice work. And again, I don't I can't sit here and, and say and give you specifics on I've seen this guy stay after practice, but I haven't seen that guy stay after practice. And I've seen this guy work an extra in the weight room on specifically his pass protection technique, you know, get keeping his hips down, getting his shoulders back, his head back, um, punching upward, um, that, that sort of thing. Cause I just, I haven't seen it personally firsthand, um, at all. I just haven't been around to see it. But, um, what I can tell you is that the guys that I played with that were always the most successful were the ones that put in enough time outside of practice. Um, or outside the confines of the scheduled practice to work on their craft and become real masters of their craft and understand the technique and start to develop a, a critical understanding and appreciation of the why, um, you know, the reasons why you are taught certain techniques, the reason why certain techniques work, understanding body, body movement, mechanics, and things like that, that will all create a sense of ownership in your technique and it will make you a better technician. And the best players I've I've ever played with, both offensive and defensive line, have taken pride in that and have been sticklers for drilling themselves and forcing themselves to get better. EJ was one of those people. Um, there's a reason why EJ was so successful and a reason why EJ didn't make mistakes. It was because he worked so hard at his craft. He wasn't the fastest guy. He wasn't the tallest guy. He didn't have the best measurables. But from a technique standpoint, he was the best defensive lineman we had. And that's why in games he was so successful. There's, that's why you didn't boot out to his side. Um, it's why you didn't run to his side because EJ was always going to stand up your offensive tackle. He was always going to win that individual matchup. Um, offensive linemen need to take the same ownership. And I'm sure these guys are. You know, Listen, Stacey Searles is a good offensive line coach. He's been around for a long time. He's coached a lot of players. He's put a lot of guys in the NFL. He knows what he's doing. Um, and these guys, I assume, and I would hope, are listening to him and taking what he says to heart and taking that coaching seriously. And as long as they do that, they'll be fine. It's early in the season. We're three games in. You'll see improvement you know, this week from last week because you've got a new batch of guys. Um, this will be, for some of them, their second game. And like I've told you time and time again, there's always going to be a big jump in, in technique and a big jump in progress from your first to second game and your second to third game. So 
expect to see that from some of those new faces on the offensive line. And I, I would certainly expect to see improvement because it's it's just a natural consequence and a byproduct of, of game reps is improvement. So the things should be cleaner against App, but they won't be perfect. But, you know, they'll, they'll be on, I, I assume, an upward trajectory. EJ, would you care to respond to the praise that might just heaped upon you? Oh, I, mean, I totally I w- forgot EJ was on this podcast. I didn't mean for him to hear that. I mean, I wake up in the morning and I piss excellent. No, no, I'm serious. Uh, no. And I appreciate, no, I, I appreciate that. But, I mean, Mike has a point. I mean, and that can be said for for our whole defensive line. I mean, we just kind of developed that culture of, okay, we have to do extra. I mean, we had a, a, a defensive line full of two three-star recruits. I mean, we didn't start getting any big-time recruits until – what Marvin Marvin was a five star recruit. Ken Tuan was a four star recruit. Then you had um, Copels and of course Rob Quinn. But me, Alaric Mullins, Tavoris Brown, some of the guy uh, Cam Thomas, some of the guys that were kind of there from the the whole transition of the program. We were two and three star guys, so we knew that hey, we got these four star guys coming in, so we got to work a little bit harder. So um, I think that this team, both offensively and defensively, every position, these guys need to have that same feeling and the same attitude towards going about their work because we see that Coach Brown's going to get these four or five-star recruits in here, these highly coveted recruits. So there's going to become a time where these guys are going to be fighting for their position on this team. So they need to come out, put the work in now, and show the improvement this season is going to give the confidence in these coaches for next season. Well said. All right, let's go ahead and take our last commercial break. When we get back, let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast by talking about what you guys think the importance is of the App State game and the overall theme of the season. So we'll be right back after this. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we're back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with EJ Wilson and Mike Ingersoll. So guys, let's go ahead and get your thoughts on the App State game itself and where it kind of falls in the totem pole of important games for this season. Mike, let's start with you. What is your stance on that as we stand here today with the heels being two and one? Well, they've developed some momentum early on in the season. They've won as many games now as they did last year, and they've won more games to this point than I predicted early in the season. Um, I have been wrong so far on every prediction I've made this year. I thought we'd be one and two with a Wake Forest win. Um, we are two and one with a Wake Forest loss. I predicted the App State game would be a loss, and I'm hoping I'm wrong again. Uh, I did think that after reevaluating our schedule after the Miami win, um, you know, listen, we snuck up on Miami, we snuck up on South Carolina to our benefit, ended up pulling those games out, made plays when we had to, and won. Um, but you know, make no mistake about it, those teams were probably more talented and 
probably, you know, you play them this season, the same team plays, plays that same South Carolina team or same Miami team 10 times, you know, we might beat them twice out of 10, 10 attempts. Um, but luckily, you know, one of those, one of those times that we would win was in real life. And it was, it was the past, you know, over the past three weeks. So listen, this team is better than they've exceeded expectations. I hope they continue to do that against app. Um, I thought after the Miami game, after reevaluating the remainder of the schedule, that Carolina would probably split the app and wake forest games. Um, so if my prediction is correct this time, um, you know, app would be a win and that would be huge going into the Clemson game. Um, because coming at, cause that means no matter what you're coming out of the Clemson game with a winning record. And that gets into the teeth of the schedule where I think every game is probably a toss up. Um, they've got about six straight weeks of probably toss up games. So, um, you know, if they can come out of the app game with a win and be three and one and come out of the Clemson game three and two, or, I mean, if the stars align four and one, it's an entirely different season. I think we're, I think it's bowl game or bust is the expectation at that point, which again would far exceed my expectations. So. They have to minimize mistakes. They're going to have to make a play in special teams um, because the offense at some point is going to drag. The defense is going to get beat at some point. But typically, and I've said this before, um, if you if you win two out of the three phases, your chances of of winning the game increase exponentially. Teams that win in the kicking game, block a kick or score in on special teams, uh, tend to win eighty percent of the time. So if we can make a play in special teams, that's the easiest way to almost guarantee a win. And it will also help out the offense, help out the defense a little bit. Offense has got to convert on third downs, keep the defense off the field. You know, I, I think defense deserves a lot of credit against Wake. You know, they only gave up 24 points, and frankly, they were gassed. They were out there for the entire first half. And to only give up 24 points, considering they played, you know, almost, uh, you know, the entire first half and most of the third quarter with offense barely being on the field, I'd say that's pretty impressive. And I think that's getting overlooked. So we need to keep them off the field let them get rested so they can be more effective um, and not scrambling the whole game. But if we can do that, if we can make a play in the kicking game and we can convert on third downs and have be on the 50% side of the third down conversion rate for the game, I think Carolina's probably got a good chance of winning this one. I think you like body morph with Jason Staples right there during that, that last little bit, Mike, talking about winning aspects of the football game and win percentages and stuff like that. You've been listening to Jason way too much here. Well, I, yeah, well, J- Jason's played for some big name coaches that I'm sure had the same speeches. You know, when he get to when these coaches get to a certain point, I feel like they've all been to the same coaching conferences and heard the same spiel that gets passed around to every program in America. That's just I just gave you coach speak. It's just stuff I've heard in the past. So don't don't take it from me. If I'm wrong, blame Butch Davis. All right, EJ. Now, where do you think the App State game is in importance right now in the season? I think it's a very important game, not only for the things Mike mentioned about the the momentum and where this could potentially place us uh, towards the end of the season and going to this stretch, of, the last stretch of games. After the Clemson game, which my only best hopes right now is that we come out of that game healthy. So um, I think it's a very important game for the aspect of the season. And for me, what I'm doing now, uh, working in kind of, with with construction companies and going to a lot of conferences now, just the overview of kind of our program right now is where we stand in the state. We're kind of looked at really right now as, as third tier behind both NC state and app state. I mean, granted, I'm, it's kind of biased that I'm, I'm around a bunch of engineers, but I think this goes a long way as to kind of how the program is viewed amongst the state. And I think it goes a, lo- a long way towards recruiting. Like Mike mentioned earlier, app state's putting guys in the NFL and these are recruits that 
probably had a, a, I mean, not the vast majority of them, but some of these guys had a choice between Carolina and App State. And back in back when we weren't doing as well, when there was all this this dark cloud around the program, some of those guys were choosing App State over Carolina. So I think that this is a big game in, in every aspect from recruiting, from bragging rights, even and most importantly to the momentum of our season and where this could potentially land us. Uh, like Mike said, bowler bust, uh, what we'll be looking at after winning this game. All right, let's go ahead and wrap it up with predictions. EJ, let's go ahead and stick with you, man. What is your call for Saturday's matchup against the App State Mountaineers? Well, I got pretty close to South Carolina game, so I'm going to go uh, 34-28 simply because I know we're going to have to score points to beat App State. And uh, I just think that from what I've seen with the second half with our, our offense, how they kind of take a while to get going, but when they get going, uh, it, it's a pretty good-looking group. So I'll say 34-28. We pull it out uh, with a strong fourth quarter. Mike, you have been wrong, as you said, on all of your predictions. Now, you already fessed up that you picked out to win this game in the preseason one. Where's your head at now, though, as far as what's actually going to happen this Saturday? Well, I had apt to lose this game in the preseason. Oh, and okay. After, a, after, now, I'm, I'm going on my preseason predictions now. My, my preseason predictions have all been wrong. I hope they continue to be wrong. Um, but in living in reality now and reevaluating the team, I think if they come out loaded for bear and wanting to prove something and, and get the taste out of their mouth from the weight game, which I think they will, um, I think this is probably going to be, um, you know, a 24 to 24 to 16, maybe a 30, a 30 to 21 Carolina win is, is what I'm saying. All right. I like it. Uh, I'll give my prediction on Saturday with the WCHL pregame tailgate show. Everyone listening in, if uh, you want to come by the Bulls lot, see the Inside Carolina crew, you can do that. Mike EJ may be making some appearances over there at some point during the season. We shall see. Uh, But guys, I think unless if there's anything else that you wanted to talk about, we can go ahead and wrap this one up. No, I think I'm good. Thanks for having us on. This was fun. All right, you guys. Well, we'll talk again next week. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. 
Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.